Hey everybody, thanks for checking out this week's episode of My First Sketch at MyFirstSketch.com. I'm Josh Hyam. As always, feel free to subscribe to the show on iTunes or on SoundCloud and get it automatically. You can check out the show on the Stitcher app as well. You can like the podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MyFirstSketch. Email me at Josh at MyFirstSketch.com and follow me on Twitter at MyFirstSketch. So this is the week. Philly Sketchfest is finally upon us. It all starts Wednesday night at 7.30 at the PFS Roxy Theater with the Sketch Comedy Film Festival. Tickets for the film festival are available at filmadelphia.com. And then Thursday and Friday night at the Playground at the Adrian. Three shows a night, 7, 8.30, and 10. Saturday night at the Ruba Club, four shows, 7, 8.30, 10 o'clock, and then the sketchy baiter and mean wendy band at 11 and then we close out the weekend at underground arts with three more shows again 7 8 30 and 10 and tickets for all those shows are at ticketfly.com today's guest is joe moore currently the head writer of dog mountain and the host of guilty pleasures his first sketch is based on the ted talks and it's about cooties matt J plays hubert erstwhile Matt Allcamp plays Arthur Mentz, and I give the stage directions and the narration. So let's get to the sketch. The TED logo is on the screen. Hubert Erstwhile enters. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It is an honor and a privilege to have been invited here amongst all our nation's leaders in the field of science and medicine. I am Hubert Erstwhile, CEO and founder of Circle, Circle, Dot, and Dot. I would like to share engaging and exciting new ideas in the eradication of one of the most mysterious and harmful diseases that blights our American society, cooties. First, I'd like to imagine a world overrun by cooties. Close your eyes. Close them, everyone. Now one of you open your eyes. No, no, just one of you. Everybody close them again. And you there, open your eyes. No, not, not all of you, just one out of every 45 people would be alive. The rest of you murdered by the cold hands of cooties. Now you know what it would be like to be dead. Spooky, isn't it? Ghoulish? In 1920, the 66th American Congress voted in favor of ending women's suffrage. Less than a year later, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was left crippled by a case of cooties. In the 1600s or something, Mozart, the world's greatest musician, falls in love with the girl at the pawn shop down the street from his apartment. He would go deaf in a matter of months. Cooties. In the 14th century, a mysterious disease wipes out a quarter of Europe. Not knowing what a cootie was, they called it the Black Plague. Today, thanks to the work of Circle, Circle, Dot, Dot, every American that is alive is alive. Our unique approach to eradicating cooties started in the mid-1950s as a grassroots campaign focused on getting men at an early age. We struck where cooties first appear, middle school playgrounds. Today, our company has grown as a respected forerunner in the field of advanced medicine. But we aren't resting on our laurels. I'd like to introduce you to the next era of Cootie's eradication. Arthur Mentz is offstage in the crowd and interrupts. That will be enough! Confused, Hubert looks out trying to find where the interruption is coming from. Who dares interrupt my TED presentation? This is supposed to go on the internet! Arthur walks from the crowd and onto the stage. (laughs) I've been waiting for you, Hubert. We meet again at last. The circle is now complete. When I left you... I was but the learner. Now I am the master. 
Only a master of evil, Arthur Mentz. Oh, evil? Am I evil? I'm only doing what I was groomed to do. I'm living the life you taught me to live. I will not be responsible for the mess you have become. As my intern at Circle Circle Dot and Dot, I taught you how important it was to fight the good fight against cooties. You turned into a beast. Ha! You calling me a beast? That is rich, Hubert. I'm not the one who went and got married. To a woman? Security, please remove this man. Security! Security! They aren't coming. I've given them prostitutes. They will be fully exposed to cooties in... Three more minutes. No! Yes, Arthur. And this TED Talk is the perfect place for me to expose you for the traitor that you are. Once, we scoured the schoolyards across the country, hand in hand, educating children about cooties, starting No Girls Allowed clubs in every town from Timbuktu to Walla Walla, Washington. But look at you now. A father of two young girls, married to a woman, and having extramarital affairs with the local CVS pharmacist. You gave in, and now look at you. Up to your neck in pussy. No. Arthur, stop this. No, Hubert. I cannot be stopped. Not now. For as of now, I am starting a new company. Circle, circle, square, square. Exterminating cooties everywhere. Arthur draws a gun. Oh, no. Oh, no. Circle, circle, push it, pull it. Now I'm invincible to all your bullets. Ha! Ha! Oh, poor, poor Hubert. Good luck with that. Arthur pulls the trigger. Oh, no. I've been shot. Circle, circle, ceiling, floor. Please don't shoot me anymore. <laughs> Arthur shoots again. Uh, uh, circle, circle, uh, circle, circle. Oh, shit, I'm dying. Hubert dies. Hubert walks off stage. <laughs> Let this be a lesson, women. Circle, circle, square, square. We'll hunt for you everywhere. Blackout. Hey, Joe. Hello, Josh. <laughs> Can you say hello, Joe, to me? Hello, Joe. Thank you. Hello, Josh. <laughs> uh, so tell me about your idea. Uh, it's bad. <laughs> That's a, a bad sketch. <laughs> so where does it It was it the come? first sketch I wrote. I have no idea. It's based on a TED Talk, which is funny. It's funny right. to make fun of TED Talks, right? Everyone's yeah. had that idea by now. <laughs> I was right out the gate. That was the first thing I thought to do. Circle, circle, dot, dot. I don't know. I don't, I don't know where it came I from. I didn't know what that is. Is that actually a thing? Like, was that a, like a, a, ch- a children's thing? Or Who like- cares? <laughs> it's stupid. It was a bad sketch. It was uh, it was dumb. I think uh, I like the joke where I have everyone close their eyes and then I want one person to open right. them. That's like, funny. That was funny. That's funny. That's fun. But the, there's like really no premise there. It's just kind of <laughs> making fun of a TED talk, and uh, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to I didn't I didn't cast myself to read it. I sat in the room while I made other people read it. And your uh, head, like in your hand, shaking, like yeah. Uh. So you guys couldn't hear the inside of my head exploding <laughs> while I was listening to people read that. So all right, when was this written? Where was this written? Why was it this was written? In the beginning of 2012, it was written because I wanted to do a sketch at theme show. Okay, and um, I had uh, I had been seeing a lot of comedy and just got swept up in it. And right, because all right, that's how I like when I was involved that first time, maybe like 2011 or so. You were always around. We were always going to the same shows. We never talked because I don't talk to people. 
And then all of a sudden you're doing everything. And like, all of a sudden you have a show where you talk to people. I know. <laughs> how crazy is that? It only took five years. Yeah. Like, so, um, so where, where does this start? Where do you start going to shows? Start. Like, all right. So I moved down to South Jersey in 2007 or 2008. And, uh, I didn't have cable, and I had an apartment that just had a uh, air mattress in it. So I had uh, no cable, no internet at home. I just worked all the time, mm-hmm. and then um, I got involved with the uh, Paul F. Tompkins three hundred, where if you started a Facebook group, uh, you get three hundred people to join, and Paul F. Tompkins would go to your town anywhere. Right. I remember that. And I started the Philadelphia group. Okay, and that's uh, so I found out about comedy in Philadelphia like virtually through that I also around the same time ran into Vince DiCostanzo mm-hmm. friend of the show great sketch uh, comedian mm-hmm. who was working at a um, at a store I bought a DVD and he said oh I uh, just screened this with some friends at this loft space in Audubon New Jersey and so I went he was like oh yeah we get together and my friends put on movies every Tuesday okay so I, I had I didn't know anyone and that's going Back this is a long way of saying I didn't know anyone. Right. So just to something to do, I went and saw movies with these guys, and they had a comedy night, and I saw Doogie Horner and Aaron Herzog there, and um, and then uh, around that same time the Tompkins Three Hundred thing, and I kind of discovered there were open mics in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. I had no interest, literally no interest in performing. Right. And I just wanted to go do something because instead of go back to my shitty apartment. Didn't you host the Widow Awards the one, like the first or second time they did it? The first Widow Awards. And it was yeah. partially because like hey, Joe's always at shows, so Right, which that well like the whole point of the Widow Awards was like so tongue in cheek. Yeah. Like this is ridiculous. Uh, if we're going to be giving awards to ourselves, uh, the people who perform, let's have someone who can't possibly win an award host. <laughs> and I just knew everyone. So here's here's the thing that I realized was it, it's fun to go to comedy shows if you don't know people because I would just, after this show, wherever it was, I would just, like, tag along and follow people to a bar, and then I'd be drinking with really funny people. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like in, uh, what's that, like, the Seven Samurai, where that there's that weird guy who just, like, tags <laughs> along behind them. You know what I mean? Or in the Magnificent Seven. Okay. Or, you know, the same story. Yeah. But there's that, like, one, American like, version. punk, like, kid who's behind <laughs> all the real men. <laughs> Who's tagging along like, hey, I'm going to help these guys out. I, I was That's exactly what I was. I was just following like a half a block behind them to the, the bar. And then I'd uh, sit down. And they were the nicest people in the world. And mm-hmm. so I got to know them. And I just went to shows for, God, probably a year, two years before I ever had right. any uh, ambition to be on stage. Uh, so you're... So- why comedy? What like what were what was your comedy fandom growing up? What were you into? Okay, so the first thing that I specifically with like the comedy breakthrough moment for me, and this is like such a I think it's a romantic story. I don't think it could even happen anymore. Okay, but I got a VHS in the mail. Well, first I got a phone call from my cousin, and he was like, "You got to hear this thing that's on TV." Mm-hmm. They had HBO, and I didn't. And he played over the phone the um. Uh, it's the end of a Mr. Show episode where there's like the cartoon angel and the cartoon devil on the girl's shoulder. And the devil's just basically proving like like shooting down all the arguments for religion. And it right. was like, I, it didn't play over the phone. I had no idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> but it moved him so much. He was like, you have to see this. So then a couple days later, uh, I hung out with them in the, like every summer. I spent all my summers with them. This is during the school year, so I didn't see them. And a couple of weeks later, they, he called up again. He played me the uh, 
the uh, in season one of Mr. Show, the don't put your dick in these holes mm-hmm. sketch, like with, that, whole, uh, that with, whole thing. With Jack Black. So like eight minutes of him just holding the phone to the TV <laughs> and me listening. And like I knew it was like it sounded cool. It sounded I was too young to hear things about where don't yeah. put your dick in these holes. Um, so then anyway, a couple of we- couple of weeks later go by and I get a VHS in the mail. Okay. And it was an unmarked VHS, one of those six-hour things with the back punched out so you can't record over it. And it had like three episodes of Mr. Show and then the last half of the movie Sniper with Tom Berenger. <laughs> and then it, had, then it had two more episodes of Mr. Show and then it had the beginning of Predator and then it had more episodes of Mr. Show. So this is, he had like filmed like a marathon on a tape that he had taped all this other stuff on and I got all these episodes of Mr. Show. I had no idea like I didn't know who any of the people were. I right. didn't know when it was even on TV. I just got this weird package in the mail that was like the funniest thing that I ever had. And then seen. seven days later, you died. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, so that was that was it. That was my and so I had this VHS of Mr. Show, and it also had the Tenacious D uh, shows that were on sure, HBO yeah, yeah, too. Absolutely. So that was like I obsessed over that stuff, and I had this is before the internet, so I didn't know where to pursue this. Right. Right, my beginning and my end of my interest in this amazing, hilarious thing was this VHS tape. Sure. Wow. So, when I would go visit them in the in the summers, we would make like videos. We would, you know, which like I guess everybody. That's kind of a shared experience. Everyone makes videos with their friends or family or whatever, and we'd make these like funny things. We did like a Satan, the Satan show, which was a, it was, <laughs> you know, which is like weird for thirteen, fourteen year olds to be sitting around with Satan masks and doing a daytime <laughs> talk show where Satan is the host. So I and then I moved in uh, high school freshman year, the first week of school. I in a whole new school. I didn't know anybody, and the teacher assigns us the Crucible, that book okay. about the right. Salem witch trials. And he's like, "All right, now break off into groups, and you guys have to make a make a project for this." I knew nobody, and it was just that so the same weirdness of being a freshman. Like you know, everyone's like, like kind of, uh, break yourselves into groups. Like she didn't assign. Right. Oh gosh, right. that's awful. I get no one. Right. So I'm just by myself. The, the weird new, new kid. Oh, it was t- totally terrible. Uh, <laughs> so I go home from school that day and I call my cousins and I'm like, Hey, can we make a video for this? Mm-hmm. I don't have anyone to work with. So my, my one cousin wrote the whole thing and it was the, we did a Salem witch trial thing. It was so, I still today it's dumb. I mean, it, like it's, it's fun. It's so smart. The story was that the, the witch, I was the witch and I made an ointment for the judge in town for a diaper rash, but he didn't want the people to know he had a diaper rash, so he accused me of being a witch okay. to kill me. And it was so funny. So instead, <laughs> one, of the, one of the moves that, they, that they, my cousin had when he was filming this, we filmed with just a VA, VCR camcorder or VHS yeah. camcorder, and um, it, it, because the, the microphone wouldn't pick up our sound all the time, we recorded the v- dialogue on a cassette tape on a boombox, so and then whoever was pushing play on the camera the pushed play on that. And then, so when we were on screen, we would just open and close our mouths <laughs> without saying the words. It was so funny. It's so funny. And like going back and looking at it now, so funny. And then at the end of the movie, when I was burned at the stake, they just had me stand up against a tree with my hands behind my back. And then underneath the camera, someone lit a lighter. <laughs> so there was this little flame that was twice the size of me. And then that's how, how so, but the, you see, like the first one is like the. You know, with the sparks shooting up. So I went back to that class where I didn't know anybody. No one would be in my group. And I popped this into the... <laughs> right? And people were, people were like, what the hell is... Uh, I was like, flavor of the month. Right? I had people so I didn't that know... actually like pr- propelled you instead of like, what? 
this weirdo, like... I, I wouldn't say propelled, but... But it, I'm saying, it, like, it wasn't... Because I was expecting to be like, oh, and I was a total pariah for the next four yeah. years. No, I had people I didn't know introducing <laughs> themselves to me and saying, like, oh, we, we heard about the thing. So, like, one... <laughs> they live in really rural uh, Pennsylvania, and there was a squirrel that was, like, terrorizing their uh, <laughs> their um, flower garden, the, uh, my aunt's mm-hmm. flower garden. So, uh, the day that we shot it, the 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 movie... Uh, my cousin went out with a rifle and shot the squirrel and used it as a prop in this thing. So he's holding a squirrel as this crazy character at one point. This actual dead squirrel. It's like, does this video still exist within, like, the, the Moore family? Oh, like- yeah. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm at that point now where I, I would love to convert it to DVD, but I'm afraid that it'll break the... I, I don't... We- you have to try. Yeah, like. maybe. But yeah, so that was that was it, man. They, so Mr. Show was the thing. That's what got me in. And then it's so funny to, that the Paul F. Tompkins would become mm-hmm. the thing that kind of got me in yeah. involved here. Um, Mr. Show has been... When I was in college, I we got a house with some friends that I went to high school with. And uh, I was the only one taking a summer class when we signed the lease. The rest of them were working back home. Mm-hmm. So I was in this house by myself for like a month and a half. Right. And it was like one of those things. I remember uh, the guy who wrote Taxi Driver was saying that like he went for like weeks without talking to anyone. And I did it for like two days and was like, this is weird. <laughs> so what I would do is I would put on Mr. Show with the audio commentary right. to simulate a room full of people talking. And then I would get home and that's what I would, that would be like my entertainment for the night. So it's been to the point now where like, I don't watch Mr. Show anymore on DVD without the audio commentary because like I've already seen it so, so much. much. Okay. Now I'm getting to the point where I'm like going back and kind of revisiting and thinking about it differently now as a sketch performer who's right. been doing this for a, a while. Uh, how did you feel about their recent Netflix? Beautiful. I, lo- it? I loved it. I loved it. And I I'll, exactly why I loved it. I don't think they were all home runs. It wasn't right. necessarily like a victory lap for them. Right, right, right. It was more just like, hey, we really like each other and we really like doing this. Right. Uh, and yeah, I, I I thought it was it's so cool that they're still doing it. I saw them when they did their tour too, like, mm-hmm. uh, and it was just it's just uh, nice to know because I feel like that didn't get the appreciation that it deserved back then. I, I don't think it did either because I think I think it came out and I was doing a sketch two hundred one and we talked about it the one day and half the people were totally against. It. I was like, what are you guys talking about? Like, there's really good stuff in there like yeah it's weird to talk about it especially in like a class setting because it's like you know what what is working what is it working comedy nerds dissecting everything right and And, you know i don't think that's the i don't think uh you know these guys are so in hollywood Mm -hmm. you know just in their regular they're also busy with stuff that they would make time just because they enjoy doing it is, is awesome i mean bob odenkirk has gone from a comedy writer to an actual like i think emmy nominated dramatic actor like yeah and then he goes to hang out with his friends and does... And that's the... Like, that's insane. That's, I think, what puts over a lot of the Mr. Show stuff is the all the acting on that mm. is so good. Tom Kinney is so great. John Ennis is so great. Jill Talley is so great. Like, they are... They sell everything yeah. on that show. Like, so good. All right, so you mentioned... You know, you're talking about Mr. Show and not knowing who any of them are. Like, Bob Odenkirk is an SNL writer. I ask everybody. I, and... Who would have been your SNL favorite? Over, like, like, I, I really am not a huge SNL guy. Really? It, it just, you know, like I saw this stuff after school on Comedy Central that everyone saw, I guess, like the stuff from 92, 93 that mm-hmm. they, that they like played into the ground. Like, it's fun. Um, I, I think there's like, um, there's, it just didn't speak to me in the same way. That you know, it's, yeah. it's entirely different than Mr. Show. Totally. Like, totally so. different. And I think there's that, that like, 
uh, you know, probably that they're putting it up in a week kind of lends a certain energy to the show. It sure. just didn't resonate with me. So Phil Hartman, right? <laughs> I, I've listened. Okay. Yeah, I know. I've listened to. I listened to enough of these to know that question was coming. To think about it in the car ride just over here, like, all right, Phil Hartman, throw it away. Uh, it's fine. Yeah, and based solely on Troy McClure. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's perfectly fine. I I'm, I totally accept post SNL work. Like, uh, so what would be your favorite? Like, who's your favorite Mr. Show cast member? Ooh, I didn't think about that in the car I, ride over. Curveball. Jay Johnson. Jay, Jay Johnson. Johnson. Yeah. I. You know, I mean, it changes probably from episode to episode, but I think he is like one of just the, f- it's, <laughs> he's like a, just a funny personality. Uh, and the characters he gets on the show are so awesome too. He, the, uh, with Jay Johnson, his big one that I always like, uh, if you say Jay Johnson and Mr. Show, the, the first thing I think of, of is story of Everest. Yeah, Easily right. like just so bizarre. That is and, such like, a funny sketch. And physical, so he, he came like, up with that sketch. Right. And it was based on his, uh, uh, he had like an uncle who would come over after, and I don't want to speak ill of his uncle, but <laughs> I guess after having a couple beers at Chicago Cubs games, sure. this is all on the commentary guys. You listen to this story. He does, he does a much better job. Yeah, he says that he would. He was there at the house, and he like sat on the on a grill they had outside, and it fell. <laughs> all right, so you're going to shows all the time. What propels you to try to do that Camp Woods open mic to do a theme show? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, I it really was Luke Giordano did it. He ha- had a show called The Bully Pulpit, which was one of my favorite shows. Mm. That guilty pleasures and TV party were the things that like I would I would just never miss those shows because once guilty I, pleasures and TV party were always once I got into musts. yeah right once I started seeing shows it was mostly open mics because that's what was happening back then yeah but then when I realized there was this weirder stuff mm-hmm. happening then my mind was blown I would go to the bully pulpit every month and one time a guest didn't show up so he pulled me from the audience and put me on stage. And like just because he knew you from going to shows and like yeah I don't I don't know just like hey let's see what this guy can do like yeah I think it was I, I I hope that it was like hey he's a funny guy when I talk to him let's put him up maybe it was also like hey this nut is gonna be give us something weird to talk about <laughs> right um, but yeah so I just I just uh, went up on stage and did it and I had a blast it was so much fun mm-hmm. and um, and that's I think. After going to so many shows and then getting to meet these people, like you want to participate, yeah. And I think that's a real hallmark of the Philly scene is that like you can just like get involved, you know, if you ha- stick around long enough, yeah. You know, like and people wanted to see me succeed. This terrible sketch that we just read that I hate <laughs> got laughs, right? Because I knew people in the audience and like they wanted to see yeah. it succeed and and they knew that part where the people close their eyes was kind of funny so <laughs> that one joke that you like yeah you're gonna hold on to and, yeah um so all right what's your next project after starting like does dog mountain immediately like after or um, is there something i don't know about no dog mountain was later that year i tried to get uh so i tr- did that sketch with jim graham and i tried to like finagle him without him knowing into being in a duo with me okay. by just writing sketches and being like, Hey, uh, you want to do this sketch with me at this thing? <laughs> and, um, so I booked us for a show mm. like at fit, uh, like a half hour slot. Okay. And, uh, like two weeks before the show, Jim's like, Oh, I got too much stuff going on. I can't do it. So I was like, Oh no, <laughs> I didn't. I thought he was, I thought you were going to be the funny guy who would come up with all the funny stuff. Uh, so then I just put together a sketch show that was just me, which was rough and difficult, and I was in way over my head. And I just did it because I had a deadline. Do you remember who you were paired with? Like, yeah, it was uh, fun with a pickle. Okay, and I did two nights, 
And um, uh, yeah, that was a that was a really great experience with a really shitty sketch show. After <laughs> there's one sketch, there was one sketch I did that I really liked, where it was a guy like an old timey thing, and he slips on a banana peel, and there's like the the word prompts that would come up instead of dialogue, mm-hmm. and the word prompts kind of become a character, and like that mm-hmm. that was funny. But okay. I think the rest of it was just garbage, just. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. So. Yeah, first time out, you got to try and like. Yeah, after this, I took the I took a class. I took Sketch right, okay. 101 with Billy Thompson. With okay, with Billy. Yeah. Bob, okay. Yeah, and uh, Daring Dalton was in that class. Corinne Wells was in that. So D- Trevor Miles and Joe Paolucci uh, were in that. Corinne was in that class. There was a bunch of uh, really cool people in that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, and then I took Paul's 201. I guess like. Maybe within a year later, right? I don't think it was two hundred one. Was never off. Like, yeah, I don't. So, it was so infrequent back then. Yeah. Um. So you, are you an original member of Dog Mountain? Yeah. So you put together a packet. You put together a packet, and I had been writing stuff, just not necessarily sketch, right. and I wasn't doing anything with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I just felt like I could be funny if I try. <laughs> if I tried. Yeah. And then I tried and wasn't. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so then, yeah, I put together a, a packet for Dog Mountain. And, um, and yeah, that's been uh, incredible. That's been, like, a real how, Have thing. you been, how long have you been head writer? Since, like, the third show. Oh, uh, that quick, like. Yeah, because Rob was the head writer, and we were going to get a director, and then Rob became the director. Right. And then his life just got busy, and so then, yeah, I uh, kind of became head writer. And, um, yeah, it's. That's been, you know, we got to travel, you know, we get to do sketch places and work with cool people. Um, like, like, is there a specific moment of Dog Mountain, like a specific sketch that you like particularly hang your hat on? Like, no, I don't think I, I'm not at that point yet like, where I, I can I be mean, proud of anything you, like, I do. Are especially fond of or, um, I don't, I don't know. No, I, you know, I guess it's always looking forward, you know, like our first couple shows, were really rough and a great learning experience because I don't think we had the wisdom on how to put up a sketch show. We mm-hmm. were running the first couple of shows that we did, the writers wrote and then the actors acted. Right. And never the two shall meet. And the director just kind of put, put the show up. And I think that's, uh, you, maybe you can get away with that when you have SNL style. Yeah. And this is not to disparage any of the people we were working with, but we didn't know what we were even writing for. Right. So. Once we kind of broke down that barrier, I think the show's got a lot better. Um, any like one particular sketch that I wrote that I could hang my hat on? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. It's always the next one. You're my always, my favorite sketch is the sketch that I started yesterday. You mentioned Guilty Pleasures as being one of those shows that you what was a must see. Always went to. When with, I first saw Guilty Pleasures, I came back the next week with my one friend from South Jersey mm-hmm. to I and I hyped it up the whole ride over, and it wasn't there. I didn't. <laughs> you I didn't realize show? exactly. I didn't realize <laughs> that the theater was the theater was dark, and I was like, "Was this all just a dream?" <laughs> so it was even a dark week. So there wasn't even like some other improv show happening. There was could... no one to tell me, "Hey, dummy, <laughs> come back in a month." Yeah. Uh, all right, so Brendan Kennedy creates a show with Roger C. Snare, and uh, after a couple of years, Brendan moves to L.A., and you take over. Yeah, he started it in uh, February of 2009. Okay. So we just had eight years of Guilty Pleasures. That's And wow. I've, been, I've been host of it for four years now. Oh, you, oh, wow, you've done it that long. I think, yeah, as of last month, I've hosted more, or I've hosted longer than... Wow, that's crazy yeah, to think Brendan. about. Um, what... First off, how, how are you picked to be 
like does Brendan like anoint you as the next host? <laughs> like, yes, he dipped my full head ceremony in. Where you pour, poured the chalice of the sacred oils <laughs> of Roger no, C. I, Snare. You know Bre- Brendan and I had we were friends, and he knew that I loved the show and and got it, knew what he was trying to do, and um, yeah, he, he you know it was. Uh, he just took me out to a bar one night and was like, hey, you know, I'm leaving. Would you consider mm-hmm. keeping this going? So it was just, you know, the loving hand. You're the, the loving hands to keep going. Yeah, so and I guess wh- he had talked it over with Roger, too, and Roger was down with that. I had done Guilty Pleasures before. I'd hung out with Roger, and so... What yeah. is the process of putting together Guilty ple- uh, guilty Pleasures for you? Like, oh, it is, like, the most fun, not fun you'll ever have. Like, because you, I'm just reading shit all the time. Terrible, <laughs> dumb stuff. And the thing is, a lot of it is not dumb enough. You know, like it's yeah. too, it's too, it won't work in the show. The show's a little bit different now. It's evolved over time where it, like I need things that kind of like hit a little bit faster. Yeah. Like I, I was watching a video where the, uh, Brendan had uh, fastball pitcher Bob Gutierrez on oh reading Hamlet oh, man. for like eight minutes. <laughs> I, I don't have, I, and you could do that with fastball pitcher, pitcher Bob Gutierrez, but having a, a segment that runs for eight minutes it, is like it's, yeah. insane to me now, but that's, it was just, it worked, it worked then, you know, yeah. and like there's some, for all the things that were terrible about the shoe bin, there was some magic there and that like, <laughs> it, like one laugh felt like 10 laughs, you know? Um, and because you, there's certain things in guilty pleasures that are mainstays, like you have poet laureate, Randy, yeah. Johnson, Randy Johnson, who, Took me forever to realize that it wasn't the baseball it's player, not. Randy Base, Randy yeah. Johnson. Yep. I still kind of wish it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then like Amazon reviews of just random. Like, wh- why are you finding these things? Why are you looking up Amazon reviews of? I think the most uh, the one that sticks out to me uh, is uh, LED light up pacifiers for raves. Yeah. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? Uh, for a comedy show. <laughs> But like, to make people laugh. How do you find... What, I, I, what's your thought the, process the thing, of getting the, to a pacifier? The thing I... Dude, I, I wish... I don't know. You spend enough time and then you're just like, what the hell? It's usually I'm inspired by something else that I'm reading. So if I'm reading a story about babies, I might say... I might read the... Or a poem about something. I might say, oh, there's something about leaves. And I'll go... I'll look at the reviews of leaf blowers on Amazon or something. <laughs> um, it's all... You try to get to it abstractly I'd never really concretely go to anything for that but the idea is I have five four guests in Roger mm-hmm. each time five star reviews so it, right. one star that two star three four it just makes fits. perfect sense the first time I saw you guys do that I was like oh this is it fits and then it's also there's just so much shit there to pull from so it's, it's really it's kind of lazy for me to keep going back to Amazon reviews but it just fits so well it's yeah. always good for a quick a quick laugh mm-hmm. you can get that in there so uh, and you've also started teaching at fit doing yes. the sketch comedy curriculum How, what's that like for you awesome next question but yeah i love i love it it's the best thing in the world is to be able to talk about this thing that i love so much and share that love with other people you, have you had people like under you that like some of your students who who has gone on to be in groups and done cool things in the city yeah tons of them like look i here's the weird thing about this is i don't want to act like hey they're good because they took my class they're no. fucking brilliant talented funny people uh, and all I can do is is what I tell them in the first week is uh, by the end of these eight weeks I want you to love this process right because you're gonna walk out of this class you're gonna write your first sketch in this class and it's gonna be bad mm-hmm. and you're gonna write you know and then but if you can fall in love with doing it coming up with the ideas and learn how to do it well and meet other people doing it then that's my job right you know and so all right so you you find out 
you find out about fit at like through weird back alleys and like from show to show to show you're living in a house with no internet no cable or anything why comedy what why has comedy hooked you and why do you, you kept doing it for the last six years i don't know <laughs> god joe what like what the what am i supposed to say like i mean you're what else am I going to do? I don't want to be a lawyer. I don't want to. I don't want to be a day trader. I. I. This is just fun. Okay. It's fun to me, and it's cool. And I've met the most interesting people from uh, comedy, specifically sketch comedy, but also maybe improvisers, stand-ups. You guys are cool too. Um, <laughs> but it, uh, are they? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the coolest. Uh, but I, I, and see now I will fucking lose sleep over that. Because I said that, and it sounds like, oh, he's making fun of us. No, I'm not. I'm just, uh, man. Why don't you do, so why don't you do a show that's called My Newest Sketch, where we talk about the thing that we're, like, most amped up and excited about, instead of, like, digging up these awful memories because of Because the shows. idea is to see how far you've come. Like... Why? That's so... What, like, you, if you would sit down, and I'm not comparing myself to Bob Dylan here, but if you could sit down and talk to Bob Dylan, wouldn't you be like, dude, like like a Rolling Stone, that song is so good. I asked or would you what you your be favorite like, sketch was. And what, was like, what was the first song that you ever wrote? I think it would be interesting to, like, talk to him about, like, how his career has gone from here. Like, and now, granted, I don't know if I want to talk to Bob Dylan. Like, he might not be your best example because just like, but like, what? That's my Bob Dylan impression. Whoa. <laughs> All right. Actually, so then I, let's do it. Bob, tell me about your first song. Well, I don't know. That's just going to be a thing. And just, you know, all those things just uh, whatever. And See, now how about this? Wouldn't this be a much better podcast? Hey, what's the new song that you're writing? Hey, it's just this thing. I don't know. going to be everything. It's just fine. Whatever. It's all right. Look at that. A million downloads on that. <laughs> million. And the second one, not so much the first one. See, I'm sure Bob Dylan would be embarrassed by the first one. Because it, actually, honestly, if I was going to talk to Bob Dylan about songwriting, I would bring up his Christian years. Because that was my introduction to Bob Dylan. Well, why didn't he ask me about my Christian years? Because Josh, I we're at saw, the end of this podcast. Because first off, now. I saw how you blessed yourself in a show for Dog Mountain. And so there's clearly like, <laughs> you're just doing like circles around your head. like Yeah. And it made me like, so there's. I don't know about what Christian years there are there. Like, well, yeah, obviously I had to have been Christian. I had to go through my Christian years to know how to not bless myself. <laughs> uh, what was your first case like? <laughs> one where you were sweaty and fumbling all your legal papers. Yes, origins. Batman Begins is one of the biggest like, origin stories. Hollywood loves origin stories. It's fine. Like, oh anyway, God. Hollywood, if you're listening to this, <laughs> God, I hate you. No, I don't. Uh, <laughs> Um, you had mentioned about uh, telling the students to love the process, mm. and so, what's the advice that you would give? What What's another piece of advice that you would give? Do as much stuff as you can, and do the dumb stuff, mm -hmm. and learn from it, and uh, don't be, uh, don't uh, stop yourself because you're uh, concerned about it. The reason that I came and did this, I guess, was that I, I didn't want to read... I don't want my first sketch to be out there like this, but uh, whatever, just do it, go on, and go on to the next thing. Yeah. I mean, because you were one of the pe like the people that I've actually reached out to and asked to do it, and you said no. Like, <laughs> Thank which, you. Thank you for mentioning that. We had, we had to see a year's worth of work, dude. That's you fine. That's perfectly fine. Put, put it up. If I've, you know, I've put up 40-something episodes already, like, do I have a good enough track record to, like... 
I mean, you are here, so that's fine. But like, <laughs> <laughs> I, it was never that. It was never that. It's, it's I, it has nothing to do with the with the the. I, the, I under, like the. It, I don't want to talk to my, about my first sketch to anyone, <laughs> to anyone, to the people that were in to Jim. I don't want to talk about it. My wife, I don't want to talk a, that sketch about. But we just spent thirty minutes doing it, so. Yeah, well. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> Joe can be seen next as Dog Mountain takes the Philly Sketchfest stage on Thursday, April 20th at 10 p.m. at the Playground at the Adrian, along with Ladies and Gentlemen from Montreal and a live edition of My First Sketch. And then Guilty Pleasures returns to the Fit Second stage on Friday, May 5th at 9 p.m. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com or on Twitter at PHL Sketchfest. Also, for more information about comedy in Philly, head to watercooler.com. The music on this episode is not by the band No-No, but you can still check them out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. And as always, like my first sketch on Facebook, and follow me on the Tumblr. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Go to Sketchfest.